All right. Today, joining us on the back pocket is the founder of Hippie Feet. Uh, just recently celebrated their fifth uh, five-year anniversary. Sam, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm excited to be uh, chatting, uh, not from the RV today, but it's good to see you guys are doing well wherever you might be here. Yes, we got correct. We got Daki in the RV, <laughs> and I'm. Uh, oh, sorry. You're good, brother. And uh, I'm sitting here in Minneapolis, par usual. Um, yeah, man. Congrats on the five year. We were talking off off air. We kind of uh, created our companies on a similar timeline. We'll be celebrating our our five year in February of uh, 2022. Uh, but man, that's incredible. Did time fly by? Did you did this just like five year? Uh, celebration kind of creep up on you? you you know it I wish I could say it went by because it was all fun but it wasn't without its stress to get to this point as you guys know they, they throw out all the statistics about um, businesses that don't make it past one year three years five years whatever it is so this is kind of that last big milestone where it's like 98 percent of businesses aren't left after five years or something like that so it feels good to check that one off the list but it's not without its stress. It was, um, it was fun, but you know, we just got rolling on this when we were 22 years old, just recently graduated from college, not a whole lot of experience. So we kind of had to build our wings on the way down and learn over the course of that period of time. But that's exciting that you guys are coming up on a big milestone here too. Yeah, absolutely. I think I didn't realize that. What, what was the stat you said on five, uh, companies who make it to year five? Yeah, don't fact check me on that. It's uh, it's at least somewhat true, but don't don't quote me on that number. But it's something like <laughs> ninety five or ninety eight percent of companies don't make it past five years. Wow. Okay. Wow. I mean, that's uh, like you said, it comes with it comes. It's a it's a worthy path to travel, and I think just when you're in kind of our situation in general, survival is key, man. Just trying to stay above above water uh, for as long as we have, you know, that's. Uh, that's an accomplishment in itself. And, and when you look at the growth, you know, that's, that's obviously um, a huge part of it too. Um, so congratulations to you. And I guess my first question is, what do you think is the biggest reason you guys have been able to stay alive and thriving these past five years? Yeah, absolutely. So for the people that aren't really familiar with what we're doing here at Hippie Feet, um, we're a Minneapolis-based sock company. And our big thing is that we are looking to provide jobs to homeless youth. So when we started, as I said, at 22 years old, uh, we did it through the mindset that we were going to, uh, we wanted to help people in need. We wanted to make all of our products in the US and we wanted to do it using eco-friendly materials. We wanted to be a good steward of our community, of our planet. Um, and that's really what we set out on. And the way that we decided to do that was through socks, oddly enough. And at the time we read that socks were one of the most requested, but least donated clothing items at homeless shelters. And so we thought we could meet that need. Um, so we got going in the sock business and working with the homeless community, donating socks. And after some time, after about 20,000 pairs of socks donated, um, we started to realize that we were, you know, we were giving a physical item, but we weren't having the sort of deep impact that we, that we set out to originally have. We were loading up my buddy's Honda Accord back of it full of socks. We'd take them out to homeless shelters out on the streets of Minneapolis and St. Paul and give them out week after week after week until we hit that 20,000 number. And we were seeing a lot of the same faces. And we realized that we were just giving them socks. We weren't doing anything more. So I say that we, we started with this idea that we wanted to help people in need. Um, and we felt like we weren't totally doing it. So 
that's why we shifted over to this uh, employment model. And that's really what's gotten us through the past five years. It's easy to get out of bed when you know that, um, that you're doing it for someone more than yourself, that you're doing something bigger than yourself. We're fortunate to have a, a community that's pretty excited about the stuff we're doing these days as well. Um, so it, it feels like a sense of responsibility, but in a really, really positive way where I get excited to make our customers happy. I get excited to see the young people in our employment program every day, um, really just be able to, you know, invest in the team, invest in the community, all the people around us. That's what got us through the past five years, through the highs, the lows, all of it. So talking like the early days when you were, so you realized socks um, you were the least donated um, pair of items to homeless shelters. Um, so you started capitalizing on producing them and giving back to them, buy one, give one. Um, and the production of it on the behind the scenes. So you, you were, you were striving to tackle the homelessness issue. And then you're also um, pushing the narrative of uh, eco-friendly so, um, that, that hybrid. It was, was that a challenge right off the bat to um, make sure that you had like recycled yarn and like where to find that type of thing? Uh, walk me through kind of the process because you're here five years later and there must have been some serious hiccups early on to uh, like solidify the blueprint of your business. Yeah. So when we're talking about hiccups early on, I mean, they were literally day one. Like we told our community, everyone who would listen, that we're starting a, a sock company watch out, these things are going to be awesome. The We told them that they're going to be made in the US, they're going to be eco-friendly, we're going to help the homeless. Um, but we had one big issue, and that's that no one wanted to make our socks. Um, I guess if you're like the big clothing manufacturer, if you're like, a, if you're actually like the factories that like make shirts or hats or socks or any of that stuff, you get a lot of call for, calls from 22 year olds that tell you they're going to start a company. Um, and so we were calling place after place after place. And we get down to, we're starting to sweat a little bit. We're saying, we've already told people a date we're launching. We told them all these great things we're going to do and we can't even get socks made. So I said to my buddy, I go, next guy you get on, my co-founder, Michael. Uh, next person you get on the phone, tell them you're, you're showing up at their doorstep Monday morning. Um, so he picks up the phone, calls kind of one of the last places on our, on our list. And rather than saying, Hey, my name's Michael. I want to make some socks. He goes, Hey, are you available for a meeting for on Monday? I'm coming out from Minnesota. We want to manufacture with you guys. We didn't know anything about manufacturing socks. We didn't know anything about that process, but we showed up at their doorstep. We're able to get them to, you know, take a chance on us. I think they took a chance on us just because, um, no one else was crazy enough to actually, to show up um, and they, they kind of got the ball rolling for us. So we were able to make our socks with this family and we're still doing it five years later. There are, you know, there are number one manufacturer of our products. Um, we even got to make sure that they were keeping staff on through COVID, which was kind of a cool experience that when manufacturing was shutting down in the U S our orders were going up. So we were able to, you know, keep them and their family uh, and the families around them in good shape through a really kind of rough period there. Uh, so it all kind of came full circle, but you know, that's really how we got rolling with it, how we got making the socks. Um, and fortunately they, they were able to kind of walk us through that process. They, I think they realized that we were just crazy, just ambitious enough 
to maybe pull this off or at least give them more than one order and be done with it. Um, so they held our hand through how, this is how you make socks. This is how you source materials. You wanna use recycled stuff. Here's the direction you go on that. So we've gotten a masterclass in all of this from, uh, from a couple named Rusty and Tina out in North Carolina. No way, dude. That's yeah, amazing. So did you, you guys had taken a trip then from Minnesota out to North Carolina to take this meeting then? So you basically called your own shot? Yeah. Yeah. So they called us on their bluff. They said, I got time Monday morning, <laughs> but you know, like we, we had a little bit of money from uh, my business partner, one in, at, in the university of Wisconsin, uh, like startup competition. Uh, so we had a little bit of money to work with, but in retrospect, it was like next to nothing. So like the, the $400 plane ticket or whatever it was, was a bit of a stretch. So they called us on our bluff. We had to pull the trigger and it, it ended up working out for us. Nice. So yeah. what was the trip like in that first meeting all about? I'm getting like major, uh, if you've read uh, shoe dog, I'm getting major shoe dog vibes from this like initial meeting. You're going to meet the, the, the manufacturers of your product. You read, I, mean, no, you read I have Shoe not Dog. read that, but I, uh, Shoe okay. Dog. Shoe Dog, I'll give you like a brief context as to why I yeah. brought it up, but Shoe Dog is uh, the story of Nike and, and Phil Knight. And uh, they, at one point they go uh, for the first, he like reads on his way. He like bluffs with him with a, uh, a shoe company in ja in Japan and uh, they call him on his bluff kind of. And he has, he ends up showing up in Japan to, uh, sell his product or like he he's trying to pitch to sell their shoes essentially and he's like reading i remember he's like reading the book like how to do business with the japanese like on his flight over to japan all this stuff but either way it was put he it was like the no pressure no diamonds like fight fight fire with fire type approach which you are taking uh so i got to just commend you for that all together um oh, i i really want to know uh just i, I really want to know what that meeting was like how was the flight what what walk me through that day because it sounds pretty pivotal yeah i mean the whole thing it, it was a little serendipitous that it all ended up working out right um at the end of the day i think they were surprised that someone was willing to show up and just put in the work when they get a million phone calls a week um about people saying that they're going to do this everyone claims they're going to order them a million pairs of socks and they're going to build these incredible businesses. Um, and so I think they were just taken back by that little bit of extra show of effort. And I'm sure you guys probably have these situations with, I know you do, you both do more than the back pocket, right? Um, but whether it's with the podcast or the other things you're doing where you kind of go, some days I got to act small and look for the help from the people around me and really, you know, call on my, my friends to, to help me pull some extra weight here. Um, and then there are some days where I have to act big and, uh, you know, pretend that I've got it all figured out and I'm a trustworthy person to do business with. Um, it's funny you bring up the Nike situation. I, I think the CEO of Under Armour, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that started Under Armour used to actually carry two sets of business cards with him one that said he was president and CEO and another one that said he was um, just a, a sales manager so that he could go into a room and deciding and depending on the person he was meeting, he'd introduce himself as, oh, I'm just a sales manager. So-and-so is far too busy today. We're very sorry about this, but I'll be able to help you out. And, you know, really kind of make his organization, even though it was one person, 
look bigger, look like it was someone that was worth doing business with, that it was this legitimate thing. Um, so it's a little bit of that fake it till you make it sort of thing, but we still find ourselves having to psych ourselves up for going in the room to be like, this is a big one and we gotta, we gotta give them a little bit of trust here. I love that comparison. And thanks for bringing that example up with Under Armour, because that really, um, relates to the mess like back pocket in a way we we um we peacock if you will to you know draw more listeners hey look at this thing we're producing listen to straight candid these two awesome ladies come to our event called bocella the cease and desist from that like, the cease and desist from coachella uh like all of these different nuances we're peacocking and then when you get on these shows that we produce or the events that we have the objective is to bring everybody down to the same level so you're all even and you're having a great time because you're looking at everyone eye to eye seeing like the the human in each other um and you just uh recognizing that right away uh going into your first meeting you know got to flex a little bit you got to show you got to have some showmanship but at the same time you're meeting a family manufacturer so you got to be relatable you got to shake their hand uh look them in the eye give them a hug um and show the human inside you and i think that's just like it's so transferable across so many different things um, and to be in the business world, uh, you know, I, I'm really starting to learn and you guys quick and you grasped it right away. But business is a vehicle for good. Um, a lot of people look at business as uh, being greedy, um, but you can really use it as a vehicle for good. And having that core mindset of, you know, making the money, flexing a little bit, but um, having the thing behind the curtain and the foundation of giving back um, is just it's really awesome. So I commend you for that. Hey, well, thank you. Yeah, at the end of the day, relationships are what make the move the world move forward. Relationships are what win things. If you get a chance to pitch someone on your business, if I get a chance to talk to you guys about the stuff we're doing in the world today, or you're talking to someone about how you know the back podcast is sort of elevating these stories around them, it's that one-to-one -one connection that you're making that's really um, that matters. But at the same time, people have BS meters. People have busy schedules. They, um, sometimes you need to kind of, like you said, peacock. I love that term, um, to, to get through the door, to even have the chance to form that relationship that is going to carry things, carry things forward. So yeah, I, I love that terminology. That's awesome. The, so when you were like sitting in that room, uh, pitching for the first time, like was what, did they, did this company, or I can't remember what the two names of the people you said, but were, were they like basically bought into what you were all about right away? Like, did they hear the message and hear the why and basically say yes? Or was there a little bit of like having to peacock or having to like really show up uh, to get this sale done? No, yeah, that was so Rusty and Tina. So they in Hildebrand, North Carolina. So they, uh, um, their their big takeaway was the the mission component that it's not just hey i want to put flamingos on socks and sell them online for whatever um it, they like the idea that we we're really driven by a mission that it was about doing the right thing um one of the things i firmly believe is that the world does not need another sock company um the world <laughs> does not need hippie feet socks the world needs hippie feet because of the good things that we do for young people in need, because we're going mm. to um, try to be the most responsible company we can at every turn. Um, 
and I think that resonated with them. They, I mean, they're an American manufacturer. And so the idea of making products in America resonates with them. They are, you know, from their own backgrounds, they really value the idea of giving back um, and the idea that we were going to work with the homeless community and sort of at-risk youth was really attractive to them. So I think that's really what was kind of like the, the driver behind all of that. And then uh, on top of that, you guys uh, started your company under the name Hippie Feet. Is, is, was that the first name? Just wanted to confirm that. That was the first name, yeah. The first name, awesome. So you stuck with the original name. Um, yep. And I was reading the blog post that you had on, uh, that, ha that you have on your website because um, I'm assuming you get the question a lot, like how did you come up with the name Hippie Feet? And uh, the the uh, the line here that reads, "We wear the title of tree hugger with pride." I love that. I mean, just you, know, you got to uh, be transparent right away. I, you're you're an environmentalist. And you have the ta the tagline hippie, so uh, people could come at you right away. Hey man, you're you get you go back to the '70s. What's going on here? But you're you're getting in, you're getting ahead of it, putting out this blog post. We wear the title tree hugger with pride. That's awesome. Yeah, man. You know, like so you talk to anybody about the idea of hippie and where like all of us were probably born early to mid '90s on this call here, and like. You know, we didn't, we weren't there for the original like hippie movement, and people we've gotten that piece of feedback from from folks where they go, "You weren't there. Why are you naming your like you don't get it?" Um, we weren't there. We can leave out all the bad parts. We didn't. You know, we shower. We uh, you know, we we wear shoes. We we do different things, but we can look at it through kind of rose-colored glasses and really um, co-opt some of the. Uh, the prettier parts, the, the, the idealistic parts of the hippie movement. And I think that's really built into how we talk and how we communicate and portray ourselves as a brand is that um, we really are trying to look at things through their most optimistic lens. We are trying to pull the, the best parts of what is a super iconic and super vibrant, like cultural period. Um, and we're trying to bring it into, you know, an era where we have, you know, uh, it's, uh, I'm a marketing brand guy. So I, I say the post Helvetica era, if that lands, but it's the idea that we have more modern design now that we have, we've matured a lot of these ideas that did develop out of the original hippie movement, um, leaving the, the crushed velvet and, you know, Austin Powers feeling stuff behind. Interesting. Uh, let's so unpack yeah, that, that a little be... bit more. What is that, uh, post, uh, What's the word? Post Helvetica. Post yeah. Helvetica. So, what what is that? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it as not nerdy as possible. So, like, if you look at Helvetica, the font, um, it is very. Uh, it, it feels very like formulaic, very uh, well thought out, practical in the way that it's actually built as a font, and it kind of marks this turning point in design where. Um, you know, we start to work through things a little more, I would say, I don't mean this in a bad way, but logically rather than intuitively, if you look at design through the, you know, 50s, 60s, early 70s, it was this very sort of free form, um, really lacking kind of a lot of modern design practices. And Helvetica was kind of that tipping point in my mind for what has led us into 
uh, design systems, really cohesive brand presences, um, this kind of bigger picture of what a brand can be. Got it. So then when you mention leaving like the Austin Powers, the, the fluorescent floral over like over the top, leaving that behind that uh, that's the post Helvetica idea. Yeah. Like just don't need that. Cr- uh, don't, not, I'm not here to call it crap, but you don't need that anymore. Or, and we'll just take the, the core from what you, you built and, and take yeah, it on we're, to we're leaving it behind on purpose, right? Yes. Like we want to, we, we want to keep the best parts and possibly maybe leave out some of the others, right? Gotcha. Or what we think are the best parts. Yes. So I was going to ask on that specifically, like what is a portion of uh, the hippie culture that not many people know about, but it might be one of those favorite things that you did or chose to extract or people in general did extract um, and brought into the kind of common era of being a hippie. Yeah, that's, that's a really, um, that's a really excellent question. Oh gosh, that's a really good one actually. Um, So it's hard in the past year here to not like look at one of the things that stood out very vibrantly to us about the whole hippie movement was this idea of people mobilizing in mass for the things that they believe in, right? Um, so there's this whole like idea of public demonstration that I think was lost. My camera just clicked off there. Do you want me to? Yes, good time. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, obviously everybody uh, conglomerated on a Facebook group to A51 uh, and that was a massive movement. Uh, definitely took that one and extracted it from the hippie era. Yeah, yeah, Area 51 was clearly a vestige of uh, of the hippie movement that we're holding on to. Um, as far as like Facebook in general was a was an extraction of the hippie movement. One could argue <laughs> that's a that's a conspiracy theory that I'm ready to go down that rabbit hole. Like, you lay it on me. If you got a PowerPoint, even better. Oh, exactly, dude. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think on that because I think like there it's it's cool like one one example that i really liked was uh just how things kind of come around in full circle like the simple example of like a lot tee like i'm wearing a, a band tee which everyone oh, wears sure. nowadays that's nothing but just like the idea of like how valuable uh a grateful dead lot tee is because people just started making them in the streets uh because they didn't want to buy like the pre-made ones like i think that that type of culture of like do it yourself like um kind of like a, a counter grain to society that's i can get behind that kind of stuff and that's the stuff that i feel like has come a lot around not only like the from a cultural standpoint and fashion but also in general in terms of uh that counter grain movement yeah definitely and i think like there, there are the the examples like that like more like specific design elements where it's you know tie-dye is back in all of a sudden and it seems to cyclically come back every couple of years now where it's such a vibrant period that's just ingrained sort of in the ethos of um what we understand like major portions of culture to be um so it's not that it's necessarily like this new massive resurgence of the 1970s and the hippie movement um although there i think that's more on like the political and the activation sort of front um, but from a design standpoint, it's just, it, it's, it's left its mark and it's probably not going anywhere. Awesome. So have you, um, have any, uh, people from the seventies become big fans of hippie feet? Like have, has your brand been able to reach 
uh, some of these well-known established hippies. You know, I'm waiting for the day that we can get in front of Dead and Co. and some of these more, you know, kind of iconic uh, folks from the 70s. In the meantime, a big portion of our customer base is that original sort of hippie group that has since raised families and all that sort of thing that now when it's time for, um, you know, Christmas gifts or something like that, they get to give gifts that are in line with their own values, um, values that they share with hippie feet. So we definitely have resonated with that group. I'm still waiting on our like our, our, our total fan from from the original the original thing though, that big iconic name. Yeah, so Dead and Co is on that list as a potential collaboration, um, <laughs> yes. which is awesome. Any uh, collaborations that you've uh, been able to secure over the years that you uh, are like they're like, damn, I didn't know that would like I didn't even foresee that to happen uh, when we first started, uh, because looking through your website, I know there's been numerous of them and you could probably go down the list, but any of them stand out uh, more than the rest. Yeah, for sure. So our most recent one is uh, a really cool one in my book. We're working with Eric Kendricks. He's a Pro Bowl linebacker from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and we've worked with him. We started working with him probably last January or so. And we stood up a clothing collection with him that he's donating his time, his feedback, everything um, to support our employment program for homeless youth. He's um, so we created this collection that helps support that, that program. And he's just been an awesome collaboration, an awesome guy to work with. He's kind of a fixture in the community. Um, and he's got his own sort of personal sense of style that he helped impart on the clothing. So it, it's been awesome. Yeah. It, I couldn't have imagined a few years ago that we would be working with someone like him. Yeah. I mean, you got, uh, the Eric Hendrick one, and then the one, so I work, I worked closely with, uh, Unreal and Michael Jordan, and he was hand in hand with the Give 16, Jason yep. Zucker, um, um, uh, charity, uh, work that he was doing. And so we were, um, kind of without knowing it, working together on the Give 16 project, um, oh, cool. which is really cool. I, I also followed that one pretty closely and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the type of things that just come around that I really think the Twin Cities does a great job of like uh, helping each other. I know the Eric Kendrick is a Vikings and Jason Zucker played for the Wild. Uh, Carly Zucker is a great voice here uh, in the Twin Cities. So like the Twin, it's, it's very communicative, helping each other out. Um, any other things that stand out with like, uh, I guess, like Twin Cities based? So you're, you're a Johnny, we're a Tommy. We're now here trying to help each other, even though they're on the gridiron, we're rivals through and through. Um, any other like, things that have happened throughout the community in, the, in Minneapolis that you've been kind of like, holy smokes, I didn't see that coming around? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've gotten some just really good feedback locally here. The, uh, the project Give 16 with uh, Jason Zucker that you mentioned has been awesome. I mean, the, the Zucker family with Jason and Carly, they're both, um, again, they're, they're kind of like Hendricks in the sense that they're just community people. So that was a really cool experience. We've done some other collaborations, one with a tattoo artist out of Minneapolis. So like trying to keep stuff close to home, kind of close to our roots here. Um, I'm a firm believer that we all have this like, this deep seated sort of thing, like chip on our shoulder in the Twin Cities where we know how awesome it is. Um, but, you know, we, we don't make the lists with, you know, Chicago, Miami, New York, LA, San Fran, some of these big places that 
um, get a lot of the attention for the cool things that they're doing. So I think we go into it and like, if you're in town here, you're not my competition. You're like, we, we are collaborative. We're looking to work with people. Um, even just the opportunity, even if it isn't public facing, the days that we get to sit down with like other small companies that are just trying to cut their teeth and make it and like be able to talk them through kind of what we were able to do and how we did it. Um, it it's awesome. It's, it just doesn't feel like there's competition in town here because because of exactly what you said. It's like, it's a very community-based environment that we're all looking out for each other. We all have the shared experience of living in the tundra for eight or nine months a year or whatever it is. And yeah, it's it's been great working on all of those projects. So speaking of like helping others win and uh, whatnot, you know, you mentioned kind of in your creation story, how you guys had a pivot from, you know, not only selling socks, but to like helping the homeless, like attain jobs and like going through a hippie feed employment program. Can you like kind of talk to me about where that pivot came and like how it came about? I'm really curious on like how that happens because, you know, pivots don't happen unless change is coming up in the environment uh, or just, or just like you're in a tough situation. So I always love like hearing how these kind of pivots came to be and then kind of where you're at with it now. Love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of told you the story about us going out, donating all of these socks and realizing that we we're just handing people socks. It's about as impactful as it sounds. It doesn't mean nothing, but it's just handing them socks. It's treating a symptom of homelessness. Um, and the thing that I think sticks out to me from that experience was just like the emotional feeling of sitting back down in the car, looking at one another and going, this isn't it. This isn't what we, this isn't what we told people that we were going to be doing. I mean, it was, we told them exactly that we were going to be donating a pair of socks for every pair sold, but it wasn't making this like deep, profound difference in their lives. Um, and it, it like weighed on you from a guilt standpoint. So could we have continued down that path and built a viable business that kept growing? I'm sure we could have. Uh, that's not how I want to do this. We, we have, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting my name behind something that did that. It doesn't feel right to me. Um, so that's really what drove that pivot. Uh, it was actually kind of interesting how our solution came up. We always talked about like, you know, someday it would be awesome if we could have a deeper impact. Even day one, we recognized that someday we wanted to continue to expand the way that we were helping, helping people out. Um, and we kind of realized like now we're 23 ish years old and we had a way that we could give as 23 year olds that other 23 year olds couldn't. We had built a company and we could use proceeds from that company to help people in need. So we're talking it over, don't really know how to make, uh, to make it work. And we were going to a sales event one day down on like, I think it was West 7th in St. Paul. It was like their St. Patrick's Day festival or, or something like that. And uh, we're unloading box, uh, boxes of socks from the car to take to do this sales event when someone comes up and asks us for money. And we said, well, we can't give you money, but we'll give you a job. If you want to help carry these over here for us, we'll, we'll pay you at the end of it. And so she helped us carry these boxes over, got all set up, everything like that, and then came back later. And she said, do you have any more work for us to, there that I could do? 
And we were like, yeah, we have all these socks that need to be packaged. We have a, the chair right there. If you're willing to you know, tie this piece of twine around these socks, we'll pay you to do that too. One thing after another. And we start working with her. We, we figure out a way to stay in touch. Um, we get you know, kind of a relationship stood up with this woman and work with her over a period of time. And we started to realize like, this is our way to do it. This is our way to give back. Um, and we had some learning experiences there. Not all of them are super fun stories, but the thing that we learned is that when working with that community, the place that we could have our biggest impact was working with young people. So, you know, we, we drew the age swatch of 16 to 24 because that's the age that most youth shelters focus on. So there are shelters for really young kids, there are shelters for that youth age, and then adults. Um, and we thought, hey, if we can just bring these jobs directly to the shelters, it gets rid of a bunch of the barriers that they face when they're looking for work. They don't have to worry about bus passes. They don't have to worry about, you know, going out on the street and earning 20 or 50 bucks in a way that's not safe for them. Or if they break the law, then they get set back on their path to self-sufficiency. Um, so that's really how the employment program came about. It was, it, it was almost accidental at first, but then a lot of the questions after that answered themselves like, okay, how do we find a place for people to do this? We're still working out of our apartments at this period of time. Well, let's go to the shelters that has all these other advantages about, you know, eliminating barriers. It keeps it under the supervision of the nonprofit we weren't experts in homelessness. So we could defer to the people who were. Um, and so it really evolved just one step at a time, trying to meet the need in front of us and just always kind of do better. Um, the thing, as you guys know, there are, there are moments of stress in any business endeavor, but Michael and I always try to remind each other, it's about progress, not perfection. It is about you know, taking that step forward, it's, we're never going to guess right and just be at the finish line. So if we can take those small incremental steps forward and do better every day, we're going to get there eventually. Man, that's incredible. The, the organic growth um, from realizing like you had an itch to do more. You had an itch to give more than just a product and just organically so happened that you're in lower seventh and you're handing out socks or you're, you're moving socks around and a homeless woman comes up to you asking for money and you offer her service instead of money and uh, it evolves from that. What a cool story and way to capitalize on something. And I think the, the, the really, the, the, the crux of that is the progress, not perfection. You, you took on the challenge of like, what would this look like inside this business as a core value? And uh, it's evolved from that. And Deck and I always say, ebbs and flow, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. It comes in so many different ways. Um, and I guess one of the core questions of Back Pocket that I want to ask you uh, inside of all this. So what has been an average quality of hippie feet um, throughout the progress of the last five years? Is this is something that you deeply care about, that you're trying to get better at a little bit every, every day, but you look at it as an average quality because there's so much more potential there. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I would say that almost everything we're average at. Um, we didn't come in at experts in any one thing. Um, and so it's kind of been learning as we go and just admitting that we don't have all the answers that we kind of would have to um, figure it out as we go. But one of the things that we can, that I would say 
is continually like there we could never be good enough at it is that idea of like creating new products um we worked really hard to learn how to create really awesome pairs of socks or any of the other stuff that we make um but you could go to school you could literally get your master's degree in textiles and creating these products and there would still be something to learn um so i want to say we make damn good pairs of socks but compared to what I think we can do someday, I think our products can just continue to get better and better and better. Right on. And like when you kind of talked into like that hiring process or that employment program, um, just diving in a little bit more, like what were kind of the initial steps after you had that first realization? Like um, it, it sounds like you maybe, maybe you have gone outside the range of 16 to 24 and realizes you need to stay in that. Um, but more so focusing on that group of people what what have been uh kind of the ups and downs of that process like are you just to contextualize a little more are you um connecting them with jobs within hippie feet or are there other companies that are partnering to to hire these kids like what kind of services are, are these kids um being brought on for what how does that all kind of look yeah definitely so I can just kind of talk through the program. We get connected with these young people through like transitional housing facilities, through other nonprofits um, who say, hey, I've got this young person that their case manager might call us and say, hey, they need a source of income. And so they get hooked up with us and then we give them jobs, packaging products, assembling products, um, fulfilling e-commerce orders, managing our warehouse. We just try to create jobs wherever we can. And we do that in a six month long program. So then at the end of that six months of working for us where they'll be doing you know, half a dozen different odd tasks um, every day, they then you know, they wrap up their period after about six months, but our goal is to get them referred out to a full-time position elsewhere. So while they're working with us, we try to give them other resources as well. So like bus passes, job certifications, connect them with counseling, um, really kind of give them the tools to get back on their feet. Uh, but then at the end of that period, we try to get them, you know, hooked up with some business in the community that can then provide them, you know, a full-time job that allows them to be kind of self-sufficient on their own. And then we can go back to what we're best at, which is working with these people and getting them to that stage. So we're not trying to be anyone's lifetime employer, um, but we are trying to just kind of help them get on to that next stage. And one of the big challenges with that has just been like any 16 to 24 year old, I'm sure a bunch of your listeners kind of fall into that age demographic as well. Um, you know how like dynamic of a period of your time that or a period of your life that is and how widely ranging like maybe your friends are. Uh, when we see people come through our door at Hippie Feet, they're in their dynamic period in their life. They're at this point where they're subject to a ton of change um, that, I mean, your brain's still developing. You're trying to figure out socially where you are in the world. You're expected to be an adult and you're figuring out how to do that. And then a lot of these people have other layers of adversity on top of that, where we truly don't know who slept on the concrete last night. We don't know who was dropped off at a homeless shelter by their own parents because they said, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, you know, there's, there are some really ugly stories in that space. And for us, the, the challenge is 
meeting them on that ground, wherever that ground is. We want to be empathetic, but we just, we never know what the next person is going to be kind of going through. Um, and so that's, that's been a, a real challenge as we, as we try to build this program in a way that helps people the most. Yeah, the homelessness um, whole um, issue is it's so complex. There are so many uh, layers to it. And Declan and I really scratched the surface with the homelessness issue with this recent endeavor that Back Pocket has taken place on. Uh, we're releasing a seven-episode series called Finding Felony, um, which uh, a investigative reporter uh, who was doing a school project uh, in, I want to say, like 2019-ish, um, Matt Chase, uh, he did uh, research in the uh, suburbs of Phoenix um, on the homelessness, and he decided to follow around this one woman named Felony, and uh, he was trying to a grasp of what it's like to be homeless, and you know all of these questions that roll through your head when you pull up to a stoplight, like should I donate, um, like, and then to like the other extreme of like why doesn't this person get a job, um, like, and everything in between. He was trying to understand it more thoroughly, and this was kind of his class project behind it. Um, and, and then eventually, after a couple uh, conversations with Felony, uh, she went missing, and he couldn't find her anymore. Um, and uh, the rest of the series leads to him like searching for Felony and then further unpacking homelessness, um, which is a serious issue in Phoenix, like one uh, more extremes than most cities. Uh, but like listening to the seven episode series a couple months ago and then trying to figure out the, the tactics of marketing it, we're going to be releasing it here in the coming weeks, um, really gave us um, far more knowledge and understanding of like what it's like the complexities behind homelessness. Yeah, that's that's incredible. It sounds like an incredible project. And I'm sure you guys are just getting a, a master class in some of this stuff, right? It's their problems that really are in our backyard. And it, they're complex. If there was a, a simple like rubber stamp way to fix this, somebody would have done it by now. Um, for you know, every person who's just too lazy, there are 10 people who are trying as hard as they possibly can to get out of that situation. Um, and the issue is that when you see, you know, when you see a lot of members of the oldest of the homeless community are older. Um, the, those are people that the intervention wasn't sufficient enough for early on, because if it was, they would no longer be homeless. Um, so you don't see the success stories. You see the person on the exit ramp every day on the route that you take to work. Um, and it's easy to dwell on that and not focus on how um, there are systems out there that can work for this community and they still need to be we need to improve these systems we still need to give them more resources um but it's a, it's an extraordinarily complex issue that is so deserving of the attention like this um like following felony is totally and you know we, we've mentioned you know the complexity of it and and sometimes the struggles of like bringing someone out of homelessness and you know there's a bunch of different reasons just to kind of tag on what andrew is saying is like the the crux of this of the of of what finding felony kind of unpacks is just like the mental instability of someone who is homelessness homeless and how that can contribute to their situation and there's not much you can do in that in those certain situations and uh it leads to a pretty insane story so uh just kind of going off that though like 
how does it, uh, how has your experience been like with bringing someone out of homelessness or just like a good, uh, like a good feel good story in the sense, like of the success of your program. I'd love to hear some, if you have any. Yeah. And I would love, I just want to be candid and say, I would love to tell you that every single person that works with hippie feet goes on to become doctors and lawyers and be fantastically, you know, happy and healthy and all that sort of thing. The reality isn't, that's not the case, but I, I did have a really like cool situation happen. I think it was in May. Um, so there was a guy that stopped by my office in May, just kind of unannounced, bopped in uh, to say hello. And he said, um, or he was a guy that we originally started working with in about 2018. So shortly after we started this original employment program, at the time when we were going into shelters, um, providing jobs there through a program we call pop-up employment. Um, and it, I actually have permission to use this guy's name. So, and I think we have a little information on it on the site as well, um, just to hear the full story. But a young man named Pierre stopped by and he said that he had just recently lost his job. We started working with in that he needed a little work to get him to the next stage. Well, Pierre started with us back in 2018 when he was kind of in his moment of adversity. He had run into legal issues um, because he didn't, he needed like $200 that he didn't have. Um, and so he found himself on the wrong side of the law and ends up in jail for, I, I think it was four or five months over $200. I mean, a, really a dramatic period of a young man's life, a, a 20 year old's life to go missing over $200. Um, so Pierre, after he got out, he was sleeping on the concrete. He was in this really sort of hard position in his life. And he came to one of the shelters that we were running this pop-up employment program at. And he started working packaging socks for us, just little odd tasks here and there to earn an income over a period of time. And he worked with us for probably about 18 months at that point. Um, when we were able to get him a full-time job outside of Hippie Feet, he moved on to that. And in the best way possible, we didn't hear from Pierre after that. Well, as I said, he stopped by back in May. He had lost his job due to the pandemic. Um, they, his company was having layoffs and he needed a little bit of extra cash. He goes, I'm right there. I am graduating from uh, Normandale Community College. I'm on the Dean's list this semester. I'm getting my associate's degree in nutrition. Um, I wanna go to the, the U to get my bachelor's now but I need help making ends meet. So we were able to support him that second time in his moment of adversity where, you know, you want the path to be linear. You want it to be always trending up into the right. But the reality is sometimes it, it slides backwards. We were able to be there for him at those two different periods of time. And he's back on track. I mean, he's making like $18 an hour. He's like, he, the kid's doing great now and looking to get enrolled in the U, um, I think this next semester, this, this spring, uh, to finally finish up a, a bachelor's degree. So sometimes when it goes right, sometimes it goes really right. Sometimes when it goes right, it might slide back and a person finds himself in a position of need again, but it is worth doing because it, it does make a difference for, for guys like Pierre. Dude, that's so sick. Like, congrats on like changing the dude's life. Like, that's amazing. Um, that's truly the impact. And like to see your guys's, 
I know we spoke at the beginning of like this idea of just surviving, like you guys were surviving and thriving between the years 2018 and 2021 and were able to institute this, this program and to like watch it come, come to life, watch it impact someone twice uh, throughout their life. Dude, there's no, I'm sure there's no cooler feeling than that right there. Yeah, Honestly. it's fulfilling. It's you ask what got us through the past five years. Uh, I'm not gonna lie that there are tons of moments where it felt like we were spinning our wheels, like this was going to be a fun thing that we did for a little bit of time in our 20s, but it wasn't really viable. Um, I, we didn't know what would ever come of Hippie Feet, but it was those experiences that kept us getting out of bed every single day, coming to the table. And now we're at the point where we're like, this is this might be a thing. We might, we might be around for a little while now. And that's exciting. Yes. Uh, you know, we got, we've gotten that sense of gratification, uh, in a similar situation this past, uh, December, uh, back pocket, you know, we've always, we've gotten from a lot of, a lot of advice from mentors over the years of giving back. Um, you'll, re, you'll receive more benefit from doing that than anything else. Um, in a sense of reciprocal altruism, like don't expect to receive anything back, but do it out of the goodness of your heart. Um, and, uh, let it play out and something will happen in return. Um, so we were able to have, um, his name's Jason Coons. He's one of the co-founders of best Christmas ever. Uh, we had him on our podcast in 2019, uh, to promote best Christmas ever. And then, uh, starting in 2020 around, I want to say February, uh, you sign up for the 2020 venture of best Christmas ever. And uh, we, we put our name in the basket, so that puts us in a situation where we can um, uh, select a family who has been nominated from unknowingly uh, to a, into a pool. And we are now captains of a family, Declan and I, under Back Pocket's name. And we get the uh, opportunity to fundraise for this family and, and surprise them with the best Christmas ever. Um, and our goal this year was to raise $5,000 for this family. We ended up raising $10,000 and you buy them that uh, you're, you're dealing, you, you have the opportunity to talk to like a neighbor or a family friend to communicate like, what are the, what are the needs of this family? So we bought like some miscellaneous gifts and some objects similar to what you uh, were mentioning with, you know, buy a sock, give a sock. And we knew that wasn't enough. So we spent um, a small portion on objects and items for the kid, the kids of the family. Um, and then we also had the opportunity to spend the rest of the money on a life-changing gift. Um, and that was towards um, rent that they ended up being three months behind. And little did we know they were weeks away from being evicted um, and bills that were backed up. And we so we saved enough money to contribute to those life-changing um gift uh, opportunities where that could potentially get them ahead um, and then best christmas ever does a great job after we donate to provide like financial advice and some mentoring um, but there's whole experience like i know i just threw out like what wow. we did tactically but this whole experience from um declan and i challenging ourselves to make this family to have to, to allow this family to have the best christmas ever 
and to utilize the back pocket community and to see them like so bought into what we were doing and to raise twice as much as we wanted to um, in the different ways that they rallied behind us from like Mark Dowdle hosting his own event to fundraise for us. Um, one of our other good friends, her name's Lauren Paul. She hosted another event to raise money for best Christmas ever. And our friend did a, uh, Matt Christensen did a yoga event to raise money for best Christmas, like three different people. We didn't even ask them. We're doing it to raise money for back pocket. Um, and that was just like the coolest thing. The hair stands on my arms every single time, um, that I get to talk about this. We're doing it again this year. Uh, that's and, incredible. Yeah. So, so for the record, you, you had no idea about like the rent issues or anything like that. That was just, we, we wanted to help pay for rent. That's what we thought was like best. And Declan was in direct contact with her after um, we donated the money towards rent. And she was like, hey, can you speed up this process? Because I just went to court and I might be evicted in the next week or so. So Declan wow. had to like like push papers quicker to get them the money. It was, it was crazy. That's incredible, though. And that's the, the type of thing that I always go back to the idea that these things that we're creating aren't going to last forever. Yeah, it, this interview might be on YouTube or something like that, but none of these are going to be, um, these things that we're making here are not going, the back pocket or hippie feet, hopefully they are, but they might not be a thing a hundred years from now. But the impact that you're having on people is something that is timeless, that is, it's incomparable, really. I mean, it's going, you change that person's, that family's life. And there's no taking that back, whether you guys decide to pursue other things in life or not. Right. And I think that is just a great example of like, just put good intention into the world, man. Like there's, there's such an aspect to just trying to live a good life, like, and, and just trying to put, put out like really good intentions into the world. And you know, you can, we can get caught up in the business of how we do that. We can get caught up in the means and in the mechanism behind it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all, it's, it's a lot, it's basically 90% intention. Uh, that's what this Jason Coons, uh, friend of ours told us was like, Hey man, you know, like, I love that you guys are doing best Christmas ever. It's going to be a lot of, uh, you guys are going to have a lot of different things thrown at you, but just understand like you guys are showing up for this family and doing a lot of good intentional work for these guys. So however it works out is how it works out. And yeah, we're sitting, you know, we're sitting after Christmas uh, and I'm talking to the mom and she's like, Hey, we need to like show these papers to the judge so that we can like settle on this uh, case with our landlord. And you know, it, uh, a couple emails later, I was able to basically, prove to the judge that um we were indeed giving the amount that we said and uh that was and that was basically it it was means and methods at that point um but yeah dude there's nothing there. the the existence and the legacy of back pocket or hippie feet is is negligent in comparison to the stuff that we are able to do what to impact people it could be making saving someone's life from rent or whatever uh on one hand and then on the other hand it's like people are going to remember how we made them felt from a podcast we recorded or uh, how we inspired them to start something that they never thought they could have done or um, made them just feel incredibly like proud to be a part of something at a crazy event, like, like a Bocella or a live podcast event. Like there's all kinds of stuff that we do just out of genuine intention that we love to do already that when we're able to share that, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing else like it and, and make it, and having those touch points, having those life experiences, 
there's really nothing better. And that, that's why it's like, if it, if it does last forever, you know, awesome. But if it doesn't at the end of the day, do we like, we're winning right now. So why, why, why worry about not winning in the future? Yeah. I, I catch myself and I'd love to know if you, you guys have a similar feeling. Like I catch myself at times just being taken aback by like, we brought this thing into the world that we thought was cool and other people thought it was cool enough that they decide to actually support it. And it's like, what a privilege and honor that anyone would ever in my entire life be down with the stuff I was trying to put in the world like that. I mean, that it's seriously, it's so, um, I feel so fortunate for the people that have gotten behind the stuff that we're doing here and think that like, yeah, this, this is a good thing in the world. Like that's the most, it's the most humbling. And, um, it, it just, it, makes you feel like a, a, an incredible responsibility to those people. I don't know, like look at, cause it was your community that accomplished, you know, this big deep piece of giving that you were able to do for that family. And it's our community that allows us to help Pierre. Like that wasn't me, it wasn't Michael, it was our community. And that's just remarkable to me. Yeah, and I think now more than ever, um, we're able to recognize that in like the deeper sense. And I think like the pandemic had a large like um, uh, perspective shift in that of like, we lost the day-to-day easiness of like just going out and having coffee with people. Um, so like finding that community and then taking it a step further and bringing people into your community and making them feel welcomed and appreciated and loved um, those that can do that and do that in many different unique ways, um, that's when the real winning, if you will, comes into play because now you're, you're, you're providing like that empathetic winning, um, in a sense of like building people together. Uh, and yes, we feel that 100%. Um, it's incredible. I am shocked every single day that I'm able to do this, um, and people support it. Um, Declan and I started this in 2017 out of our college house, um, and just kind of wanted to be like knuckleheads and record a podcast with some of our friends. And it just slowly evolved into something that we deeply cared about and we never want to let go. Um, and largely to do with the people that got behind it and continued to like say, Hey man, that was like a really cool episode or Hey man, you should do this. Uh, and that, that could like put you in this trajectory and we're like, Oh, I really appreciate that. We might take that. Um, and all the different things that have happened, it's been the community that has given us this platform, um, to continue to excel. Well, and you guys have crushed it. Obviously you're, you're bringing the joy through, through the podcast, but then you're also, finding ways to to go deeper and that's that's amazing to me so i commend you both on that right on thanks man and uh we we like to say this and i'm sure you guys uh you and michael feel the same way to a certain degree but it like we'll be in certain scenarios like good or bad and andrew and all and uh, andrew and i will always say just like hey man like we're the only ones doing it like we're the only ones that like took the initiative to build this up to where it is at this point and it's gotten us so far to where we're at this situation or we're like a good moment would be like when we were like crowd surfing on a boat uh, in, in the summer this year, or uh, when we're having to deal with this cease and desist from Coachella or like, it, dude, there's so many situations where we have to just kind of remind ourselves like, Oh yeah. Like we are kind of the only ones doing it, you know, and in, in this, in this very specific sense um, because we made those decisions before. So like, 
I I'm sure you guys relate to it in the same sense where it's like you you're helping a guy like Pierre trying to succeed. And like, you're probably going through like people and people and people just trying to like help them get through and like keep your business alive. But there's always this aspect of like, there's really no one else in the world also doing that at this point in time. And you got to feel pretty special and thankful for to even be in the moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, Michael and I, we go through the, the test and the, it, I'm thinking of a nice way to say this, but it's more or less every bar in the United States has two guys right now sitting in it, talking about the podcast or the business that they're going to start. And we can come up with any idea that we want, but what makes us any different from the two guys that are talking about it, that'll never do it. Like it's the million miles an hour run through a brick wall attitude to actually make something happen that, that gets it done. And like you said, it's, it's, doing it. It's being the one to do it. And yeah, I can truly say, I'm not aware of anyone else who's doing what we're doing. Um, and we, we just need to, we want to keep our eyes on the, our values and the things that are important to us, but do it a million miles an hour and just keep going. Just like keep pressing on because no one else is really doing it. Yes, man. That is awesome. Love and, that. and that leads us to our next core question that uh, Declan uh, added to our repertoire a couple of weeks ago. And this question is can be like theoretical. It can be tangible, um, but it kind of goes hands in hand with like going a million miles an hour, being unique, taking initiative, uh, going to places no one's ever been to before. Um, I want to ask you, Sam, what is your Mars? Like what if you were to get to Mars, what would that look like? Um, and you could take this a million different directions, but I'm curious. We just started asking this because back pockets, one of their core sayings is to Mars, we go Mars is the destination. So Sam, what is, what does your Mars look like? Yeah. So my Mars is like, and, and it's to me, when you say Mars, I, like, I think of it as like that it's this ridiculous audacious goal, but it's maybe possible. Um, and I think of that in like my mind where it's like, I want to be able to have hippie feet be this this system that is in every city in, in the country where you know we're a household name like vans or patagonia or something like that except when you get stuff from us you're just you're helping to strengthen your community that young people no young person is in a position where they're experiencing homelessness Due to their, due to their inability to find work because they have, um, you know, a criminal record from that day that they had to go out on the street to make some money to get their phone bill turned or their phone bill paid and turned back on. Um, that's my Mars is being like is being there where we are accessible and we have the resources that we can prevent these issues from becoming issues even in the first place like there there's a there's a safe route out for these young people before they do anything that catches them in a cycle or they make a decision as a 18 year old that's going to follow them for the next 40 years you know um that's that's my mars right now dude love that you're basically like a formidable resource for oh no did we lose them did we lose him? We might have. He'll come back. A formidable source. What was it for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Given the context of what I said, we probably couldn't figure it out. Oh, man. He'll be back. I know he will. Uh, no worries. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we might need to, like, actually kind of maybe manifest that. Ooh, wait. Pause. Uh, pause, deck. We lost yeah. you after we lost a formidable you. source. A formidable source was right when we lost you. Oh, okay. I'll back up. So 
like what you're doing is like a formidable source uh, for the people with the most potential. This like group of people that like the the snowball of homelessness hasn't quite taken off yet, mm-hmm. and they still have a lot of formidable portions of not only their brain, their physical attributes, but everything in their life. There's so much dynamic stuff to it that it it will change. And and for you to be a part of that, um, and and really capitalize on these people who are so uh, that have all this potential like that is such a great spot to be and for you to be that resource is incredible there the rate and what i was really building on is like look you know you're gonna you're gonna build this thing uh nationwide and potentially globally uh but we also got to kind of manifest like we can't have homelessness on mars Uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth going through through the mental exercise of like, well, we're standing up our own utopia. Do we let people fall into this position or do we right. like, step in before it becomes an issue? And even if that to me, in, in my world, are we going to be the ones to do it? Well, I think we're definitely the best candidate out there. I hope we can achieve that. But if nothing else, if I could inspire, you know, 50 or 100 college kids in their dorm rooms to just steal our model and do it within their town or their community and have that impact, I would welcome that tomorrow because it, it just, it has the impact that we need need it to, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm with you, no homelessness on Mars um, and hopefully we can take care of it on earth too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think those are kind of the intro board meetings and like the town get togethers uh, for on Mars. Mars is just, is, is basically putting that out in front of everybody. Like, Hey, you know, we're all, we all have homes now, but like, let's make sure that we don't become homeless. And, and I think that is uh, going to definitely be a crucial part of the conversation. I'm with you there, man. I'm, I, I'll let you be mayor of Mars. You, you can, uh, you can call the shots on this one. Oh, don't give, thank you. don't give him too much power now. <laughs> let's be careful here. <laughs> this is a monarchy and there will be no homeless stuff. Yes. Oh, that works. Man. Um, Sam, I heard you quickly uh, gloss over conspiracies. Um, you know, the Declan threw out Facebook being, you know, a, a conspiracy in itself. Um, I want to throw, and, and I, I had an inkling here that you, 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 you know several conspiracies. You might not believe in them, but you, you, you enjoy researching them. As a, as a hippie enthusiast, um, yeah. I expect nothing less. Uh, what, no, what's I've... your thoughts on birds, and are they real? there's no way birds are real first of all, i don't even trust that planes fly I, there's no way that birds fly like it's it's 100 drones like an animal can't fly and i firmly believe that um no it was actually great one uh my friends and i one time for like a, a brunch during the pandemic since we couldn't come together like early on first lockdown uh we had plans to get together like one saturday sunday morning something like that and when we found out that we weren't going to be able to do that, we said, let's have a presentation party. So we all hop on Zoom and everyone has a PowerPoint prepared and uh, and presents on their favorite um, on their favorite conspiracy theory. So uh, birds as drones definitely made an appearance there. Yes, dude. Birds are not real. If it flies, it spies. Uh, <laughs> bird watching goes both ways. The bourgeoisie in the Nixon administration released 12,000 pigeons into this day. Uh, they are out there. They are watching us. It seems like you're well versed on this one. I am. I'm deeply invested. Birds are not real, <laughs> especially pigeons. He's, 
he's well versed on the brand that is birds are not real i don't know if he's well versed on the actual theory or conspiracy that birds are not real uh you know that, will... that passes as legitimate information in some circles these days so stick with what the brand's saying yes exactly yeah we trust brands nowadays and not the government <laughs> we've basically had that we've been saying that for all of 2020 and 2021 so uh, we got that going for us the uh <laughs> that's awesome though uh what were some of like what's kind of our biggest what was your biggest takeaway from like what was your powerpoint presentation um i think my girlfriend and i did that oj simpson is actually kim kardashian's dad oh i believe that's dark I, I don't remember the finer points of it but it's worth it's worth going down that rabbit hole okay yeah that, wow. that is some some time in an internet black hole that you'll be grateful for whoa that one i have not heard and i'm deeply intrigued because the kardashians got famous from that trial yeah her dad was on yeah Yeah. i I tried to devote as small of an amount of brain space as possible to the kardashians so i don't really even know the names of the dad or anything like that but you know robert it's robert kardashian but okay there we go uh, interesting gosh i we ought to look into this um wow okay oj simpson potentially kim's dead interesting breaking news breaking breaking you hate to break it right you hate you hate to break the news in that regard but here we are um right on man whatever Uh, it's worth please don't sue me kim kardashian right right yeah this is all in good all in good nature all in good nature. Yeah. Kim Kardashian, you know, a proud supporter of the back pocket. And so we're not going to like, we're not going to put her in, in shutter and in, in false light. Um, especially, you know, just with who she is, um, in our relations to her. So we, we want to make sure we keep that, uh, green for sure. Uh, but I got to say, you know, a little, a, a little bit of a transition here, but you know, we're, we're somewhat of an hour into this podcast or however long we are. Um, I got to say you have a very soothing and smooth voice sam like very much a part of like you're you're very much meeting the trend the like the picture that people might paint of a co-founder of a company called hippie feet so i just want to congratulate you on that i hope that's a good thing i don't know that seems like a compliment maybe uh something else masked as a compliment but i'll take it i'll mm-hmm. take it for now and i and i'm quite flattered so thank you for that uh, it is definitely well, yeah. it's definitely a compliment yeah, hundred percent a compliment. And I would also say, like, you said a word that I didn't know earlier, and it was like obviously the right word uh, for what the sentence uh, was. So I gotta be honest, like, you gotta start using bigger words. Uh, not to say you weren't using enough, but like, just know that it goes way further with your dialect and how your voice sounds if you were to use bigger words. You know, I'm keeping them easy for that St. Thomas education. You know, when I'm around Johnny's. We, we, we up the level of the vocabulary a little bit for you, for them, but for you guys, we're, we're backing off today. Mm, I love it. I love it. Um, so Declan just, he, he shouted out a little compliment your way. I want, I'm curious, what would Michael say? Um, and this is kind of a cool little question because Declan and I co-founders together, you know, ride it, ride or dies. Like he's my partner in crime when I'm having a shit day, he's one of the first people I call type of thing. Um, what, like what's the dynamic and i'm kind of bummed michael isn't here so i maybe i wish i could call him in real quick but uh like what's it been having a co-founder um what would you say been have been like the dualities between you two of like uh, helping you guys find uh, success and stay even keel 
Yeah, absolutely. Michael and I are just really balancing forces in each other's life. If we didn't have um, hippie feet to come together over, I, who knows whether we would be friends or not, but we came together specifically to do this thing without really having a lot of background and being so different is really what has made for like a strong business partnership and a really strong friendship. Michael is a, he's a really charismatic guy. He's uh, very intuitive. He, he trusts his gut. He goes, you know, he, he really trusts his intuition on things. Um, and he's a creative guy. Uh, and I go kind of the complete opposite direction. I have the tendency to be kind of hyper analytical about stuff. Um, you know, if I had one superpower in the world, it is just old school logic. It is just thinking my way through a problem. Um, whereas, you know, Michael listens to his gut and his gut is usually right. I think we can, we can all say that with confidence. So it's been cool because we're very different personalities. Um, but if, you know, if I was a clone or he was a clone of me, I don't think hippie feet would be where it is. It just, we, we need to balance each other. Um, and we just bring kind of, as I'm sure you guys do, cause you're still doing this after five years, we bring this just kind of mutual respect. And I would even say admiration for one another to the table where, you know, if he says, Hey, I don't think this is the right idea that goes a really long way in my book and vice versa. Um, it, it's just like a level of trust where you know that you can be like intellectually safe. You can explore ideas that you can trust feedback or you can, or, you know, they'll trust you when you say, I hear your feedback, but this is the direction we're going. Um, we, we've just kind of got a good rhythm between the two of us. And yeah, he's just together. It's been like, rounding out all of the the characteristics that I think that I'm weak on, which is which is nice to have. Hmm. Right on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you can't you can't complain about that in any way. How did you guys like meet? And I did. I don't know if we asked this at the beginning, but like how what was like the conglomeration? What kind of forced your, your paths to cross and uh, create everything? Yeah, so we had uh, um, some mutual friends. So I, I'm originally from Hudson, Wisconsin. Michael was living out in Hudson, Wisconsin at the time. So uh, he had met a bunch of the people that I had known. And when he first kind of started thinking about the idea of like, okay, I'm graduating. It would be, I want to do something like we know this thing about socks. Uh, he got my number just through some of our friends. Like we didn't even have each other's contact info or anything at the time. Um, I was previously with, I was like through college um, working with another company that was growing like really fast nationally. Um, like I was sitting on their board of directors and everything. And so Michael had heard about that, knew that I kind of had experience in the space and kind of making these things happen. Um, and so he just called me out of the blue one day and said like, hey, we're graduating soon. Would you want to get together um, for a beer? I think I have an idea on a business. And so we sit down to talk about this buy one, give one sock company that he, he was thinking about. Um, and we just kind of, from there, we took it and ran. We, we sat down on a Tuesday night. I like, like I said, we were two weeks removed from college graduation. So didn't have a penny to my name, broke college student. I thought I'm going to let this guy buy me a beer because I want a beer. Um, and nice. we sat down at like 6 PM on a Tuesday night and we ended up shutting down the bar that night. Like we, we went till 2 AM at the end of the night, we say, do you want to get together and do this again next week? Um, 
kind of look at each other and go, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do it. And so next week, next week, next week, well, till before you know it, three, three or four months later, we had our company launched and that was uh, the, the anniversary that we just celebrated. So the, the five years, so it's been, it's been a wild ride and it was, we kind of came together as complete strangers who both wanted to drink beer together and turn it into, into uh, a company today. Damn. And it's been a fun that's, ride. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really cool. The commitment to each other, the belief, uh, and over a beer, man. That's as simple as it gets. A happy it's hour a beer at a pub. Oh, it, it, Declan, yeah. How did you guys originally? Just through school? Uh, Declan and I, uh, yeah, we went to school at St. Thomas together, and we played football. Uh, and Declan and I were kind of like low man on the totem pole, like grooting grinders. Um, and... We just kind of always used each other as like encouragement and motivation, like, you know, kind of chip on your shoulder, um, scout team guys, uh, working out together, going to like 530 in the morning workouts, uh, knowing that we weren't going to see the field on Saturday, but still doing it on repeat. Like we just looked at each other like, damn, we just we're going to outwork each other no matter what. It's just like have fun doing it. Um, and then all of a sudden, like Declan came to me and was like, hey, I've been wanting to do a podcast. Uh, we've been listening to podcasts together. Uh, like through internships and just kind of like shooting the shit, like sending each other uh, funny podcasts that we listen to. Um, and then Declan kind of dropped the the snowball into my ear and uh, it led to us after 5.30 a.m. workouts, going to the cafeteria, getting a breakfast burrito and writing down all these ideas and doing that. I, similar to you, like week after week after week. And I think two, three months into it, we released our first podcast. See, you're not the two guys in a bar. You're not the two guys in a cafeteria. You're the ones that actually did it. And it shows like it's awesome. Yes. Right. And it, and it still goes without saying, man, like that duality between Andrew and myself and you and Michael, like there's something there for some reason that just like it works. And it's like tough to like give advice to anyone on like how you find your co-founder because mm -hmm. it's just like you just kind of act with like good intention and over time, like things kind of manifest itself, like with the Andrew specific, with Andrew specifically, like I knew he was like the shoe and guy to go to because of how committed I know, like how accountable that, that he, he was. And I knew how accountable he was because in the situations that we were put in where they weren't that great and they weren't that rewardable, he still showed up just as many times as I did because of it was, it was for the love of a team, the love of a game. Uh, and something that we were passionate about. So like, I knew from the start, like this would be a good uh, investment of time because it had, it, 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 it like with the, had the biggest project projected type of outcome. So it's fun to think back at those situations a little bit and just like, remember like, oh, okay. It, like it started as something so small, like, and those continual uh, intentions, those continual steps forward each and every day, like really start to add up to something. And, you know, we're sitting like you are very, very similarly coming into the year five, year six of the business. And it's like, you're still in those similar scenarios where it's like, okay, I feel really fucking tired. And uh, I know I have things to do. So it's like, I need to continue to push forward. I need to find a way to get it done. I need to find the, a way to keep the ball pushed forward in some regard. And those challenges are obviously new to us now at now and i'm sure there's new things coming across your table too uh but nonetheless like there's that energy source that still needs to be put out and uh i love it man i i love the challenge of it honestly 
Well, and I, I listened to another uh, one of your podcasts where you guys got into conversations about like multiverse and like different realities where, you know, this pairing, whether it's me and Michael, whether it's you two, you know, any of sort of like the successful business duos out there, it, like there are more universes where that doesn't happen than the ones that do. Like it is serendipitous. It is a just a pure accident that it's worked out as well as it has. Um, but you can't really imagine it being any other way, right? Like you, you round each other out, you, you got each other's backs, you trust each other. Um, you, you're kind of, yeah, you're the, the people you can rely on. And that's, that's huge. Right on, man. And uh, I'm not sure if we asked this question yet, but I'd like to ask it here. Um, you know, when you're in those like tough situations uh, in those challenges do arise, you know, what's in your back pocket? Uh, for you to kind of come out on top and conquer the challenges that's kind of in your face. What, what do you rely on, man? Yeah, I've found that like you guys, so you, you got your cease and desist from Coachella. Um, you guys know the other challenges of, of getting momentum on something. It, it's, we have not been without our moments of stress either. Uh, I've just found that in those moments, I, what needs to happen is just always clear to me. It's just like, it's not a moment of panic. It's not a moment of freaking out. It's a, I feel like there's a clarity that comes from that, that whether it's, you know, hey, we started this big project and things aren't going well and a lot of money's going out and it's not coming back in or it's, um, you know, really tense situations with other businesses or something like that. It, I've just always found that like, those are the moments where I'm at my, clearest point and you know that's the thing that i'm keeping in my back pocket i wish i could access that every day without always being kind of at the edge of stress or anything um or, or pushing it as hard as we possibly can uh but when those moments do arise i've always got that one it's, it's funny how that works too right like when the anxiety is truly rising and the pressure is on that's when like your truest self comes out Mm -hmm. um and the clarity works uh it's really cool that that's like the go-to is the clarity aspect um man i cannot imagine uh how many times you've been able to like been put in that situation and and at some at some point you're second guessing yourself like damn is it, this might be too clear like how, how did i come up with this so fast i should be under a little more stress than that <laughs> and i, and I want to be mindful of time if we got to be wrapping in here soon but there is um, a buddy of mine, Ben Vanden Weimellenberg. So yes. he's the founder of- Ben VW, Talk. dude. Yep. Yeah, good you, guy. You're, you're familiar with Ben? Yes, sir. He's yeah, we're good buddies that, with him as well. Good he, dude. He's a dude that pushes hard, right? And you can just tell that he's a guy that knows he's at his best when he's pushing it, right? And I think there's something to like, when you don't get comfortable, when you're always kind of driving for the next thing, it keeps you on that edge. It's, it's, you can sit back and get comfortable, but then, you know, you suffer your, your like performance, your ability to get the job done suffers. So he's just like the perfect example of a guy that, you know, he pushes for it. Um, and he stays at his best because of it. it it's really cool to see. Right. And I, and I like the, like the simplification that you bring when it's like, I, you know, you mentioned like, this is something that's in your back pocket of like, just having clarity, but just also the confidence to rely on the clarity that you're seeing, you know, like Andrew questioning, whether it's too clear, like, I'm sure there's been moments of that for sure. But at the end of the day, there is like a, when you have to like move forward and like take that next step, like you're going to logically make the best decision that you possibly can in that moment. And 
whether or not it works out for you is not necessarily the, the, the story, because, you know, if you take one bad step, that doesn't mean you couldn't take another correct step. It just so happened to be that that one step is the one we all look back on and say, that was the one to do. Um, like I know we've beat this Coachella thing to a pulp, but like, there were definitely like seven different things that we tried that weren't the right step in terms of how to respond to the cease and desist. And like, I could go back through and count and tell you those different wrong steps that we had. It wasn't until we really had to force one direction to where we needed it. It was like the straight candid girls had texted us and said, Hey, how are we supposed to promote this effing party? Like we were about to launch our promo code next week. Like, can we please get an answer on what the name of the party is? And I was like, fuck it. I guess it just has to be the Pope party that got a cease and desist from Coachella. And that was like my next logical correct step. And then that's, that's how it ended up coming about. So, it's, so that it, landed, you didn't get any more flack after that? We No, because yeah. that was the seventh time that we figured out like, okay, we can't do Bocella with like the, the asterisks over the thing. We can't like, uh, we were thinking about like coming up with like a contest to like try and come up with a new name at the, at that point in time. It was just like, we got to do what's the most efficient for, for what kind of time we had. And it was like, we need to spend time on planning the actual event because that's not the thing that's getting shut down. Just the freaking name of the freaking thing is. So let's, let's move past this so that we can get to the next thing that we actually need to work on. So that's why it was more of those, one of those things where it was like the clarity was kind of probably there all along, but it was never really forced to be acted upon. Uh, so to your point, it's like triple down on the clarity and also be confident in like the fact that you have the, all the tools to make the decision that's right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, that's, Whatever it's worth, the name is brilliant. I know. We might just keep it. Yeah, I think you, I should. I think you should land on and just build that out as your brand. It's a little long, but you can make it work. We can make it work exactly. There's an abbreviation in there somewhere, and uh, yeah, the funny thing was our patent lawyer said like that's a fact, so they can't sue you based on facts. Um, and we were like, you're kidding. You, you, now, now we're now we hit a gold mine, <laughs> and that was our branding. I love that. Really? That is, yeah, it's honestly brilliant. I'm glad it's, I'm glad that you guys can take that one and run it without getting in any more trouble. Yes. Right. Well, and it's just funny too. Cause like we're sitting in the scenario and it's like, we, that's one of like the funniest things of like this year that's happened to us. And, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, just a lot of fun with that Bochell in, in its sense and just, you know, planning and executing that event all together. But it's like, we're sitting here now in September, September 21st is the day we're recording. And it's like, uh, like there's so many more things to now like focus on, like, and that's, that's where I kind of struggle internally at times where it's like, I feel like I, when my task list starts to run short, all of a sudden I'm like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do on a day to day right now? Like, what do I need to be preparing for? Like, what do I need to get going on? Because like, I feel like I'm lethargic almost like I don't have the stress of lawyers and Coachella and getting this party thrown and like making sure we have everything right. Like, I, I operate very functionally in those high stress moments, but then when we are like, oh, we got three months until, you know, the next thing that's coming up or, oh, we got this. I'm like, oh, okay. So like, we don't do anything now. Like, what's the deal? Like how, how we, how are we moving forward? How are we getting better each day? Um, and that's like, that's just me being incredibly anxious about where I'm at currently, but you get the point. But the, the, to that to me is better than just being at like this simmering level of, you know, six on a scale of one to 10 at all, at all moments in time, you know, where you're just always tense. 
is always just kind of hustling, feeling like you got to do more. Like if you can just like slide into being relaxed when your schedule allows it and then, you know, going to 10 out of 10 when it needs it, that's a, that's a much more fun life to live. Cause you can, you're not constantly stressed. You're not getting caught up in the, in the stress of like just doing more stuff, telling yourself that it's productive when it's really not like, I definitely, like we've had that tendency in the past and it's just, it doesn't do you any good. It's time that you'd be better off, like calling your mom and telling her you love her or like taking an old friend out to coffee. Like there's, there are productive ways to use time and they're not always on your project, your business, whatever. Mm, that yeah. is advice we need to take. I don't know if we're truly taking that. Uh, we probably aren't. We probably aren't. Good but chance. I, yeah, that's good a, chance we aren't. Good chance we aren't, but it's a, it's a time and moment where we say, ding, I'm writing that one down. Um, so appreciate that, Sam. Um, was, yeah. The back pocket kind of thrives in these situations towards the tail end of the, uh, the podcast where we ask these core questions and one of them being a challenge question. Um, we, uh, we ask our guests to like, we build on the blocks before, um, of our previous guests and work down the line. So is there anyone that you think would be a great podcast guest that we should have on? And then I'm going to throw in a caveat here since now we're a podcast production company, the back pocket productions. Um, is there anyone out there that you think, um, needs a podcast and we could, uh, jump in there and, and offer our heroics and, uh, and kickstart their voice. Yeah, absolutely. So actually the, the guy that comes to mind is my buddy, Chad. He just closed out a, a Kickstarter, um, for shirts made with like this technology from NASA that he, like he developed it into shirts more or less. And actually it's what I'm wearing right now. Brilliant dude, super dynamic guy. I think he would absolutely crush it on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Say his name one more time. Chad Hegard. Chad Hegard. All right. Chad yeah. Hegard. Good dude. He's local too. Challenge accepted. Yep. Challenge accepted. I'm excited. What can you give us like a little tidbit on what these shirts are about? I mean, you mentioned yeah. NASA and t-shirts and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So, so his, he's a pretty like athletic dude just wrapped up an Ironman last week. Um, and his whole thing is that he doesn't want to like waste time in the mornings, like thinking about what I'm going to wear for the day. Like, I don't want to be overdressed, underdressed. I don't want to be too hot, too cold. So he developed this fabric that uses uh, this technology from NASA called Outlast. And it uh, takes your core body temperature and it like it raises or lowers it depending on whether you're too hot or cold for your environment. So it's meant to be like just kind of a one size fits all in terms of like temperature and the environment you're in. And then it's designed to be able to look decent for more formal settings, but you're never like overdressed as well. So, and he's just a hell of a dude. So I definitely challenge you to get him on, uh, get him on the podcast here. Hell yeah. No challenge accepted for sure. I'll reiterate what Andrew said. Um, that just, yeah, I got a lot of questions, put it that way. That seemed, sounds freaking sweet, dude. I feel like he's got to send us these shirts so that we can be wearing them while we're being our, our bodies are being regulated. I, I think that should happen. Podcast. I, I think that should definitely happen. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, and then on the back half of that question, I mean, if you don't let me know, let us know if you do have some sort of person that needs a podcast in your opinion, or maybe a concept that has not been dove into because, uh, although podcasting has been around for 15 years, uh, we're in the nascency stage of where this thing's going to go. Where do you guys see it going? 
Um, I think podcasts are just TV shows, just more accessible. Um, and it's more on the individual, on the indie market more than it ever was, like more than anything else, really. Um, it's also just like a formal setting for like conversation. And um, there's just so many different ways you can go with a podcast. And so I think for Andrew and I right now, it's like we've really dialed in just the core concepts of what it takes to make a podcast uh, from a mechanism standpoint, but not just make a, not just make a podcast, but make a podcast look and feel like the number one podcast in the world. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to sell ourselves a little bit more on that, but I, I think in terms of like the style of podcast and, and what are the limits of podcasts? Like that's something that Andrew and I are constantly trying to push and figure out where, the best spot to be is um in the years to come because you know we've been running a uh you know a conversational base go as long as you want talk about what with whatever you want uh type of show um and we use it as a genuine networking tool to meet really really cool people that uh we wouldn't have met otherwise you know such as yourself and and ben and ben vw and to be chat um but like we've also ventured into ideas where we've uh, we created a blind dating podcast where people go on dates and record podcasts together. And we turned that into like a show that has very much a similar feel as the bachelor. So it's like, we, we just come up with random ideas that we think are really good for the, that would fit in the space of podcasting. And that's why I said, like, if you had an idea for a podcast, you know, there's so many different ways you can go with it that like, we, we just have the mechanism to be able to create. And that's where we love like honing in and, and focusing our craft on. For sure. And it seems like it, it shows up in like the, the quality of everything you guys create and even like you, how dynamic you both are as hosts. I, yeah, I, I, I love hearing that. And it seems like an incredible space here. And, you know, I will definitely let you know if anything comes to mind in terms of the sure. next podcast that the world needs. I love it. Thank you, right. Sam. And, and really what it comes down to, too, is like, you know, maybe we weren't necessarily uh, may I guess there if there was an idea that you did have or whatever, sure. But there's also like an idea of like scaling someone's voice and, and the idea of it's it could be a concept, but it could also just be someone that needs to be heard uh, in the world and that we never knew before. Um, and so like that's it's just a fun dynamic that Andrew and I get to play around with uh where it's like we're ranging to the day night podcast but we're also like we we helped scale two ladies voices in the twin cities to one of the top 20 podcasts in the united states and had we not put that intention forward that that they would have never been found and they would have never been making the impact that they are today not saying we deserve all the credit but like they're it's just cool to know that like when our mechanism is utilized when our intention is there and like the uh, and it's matched with someone who's willing to like really put themselves out there in a good way like there's a lot of good positive energy that can happen and i just think like the sky's the limit for us in that sense because we have those capabilities right now it's just like a matter of us getting it into the right people's hands you know and that's so cool when you develop a system like that that you, you are confident in and then you know can work that yeah that sounds amazing right on so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of this, the skinny of where we're at right now. It's cause it's like, we've had this, we've, we build this brand, right. That's like back pocket kind of started it five years ago. 
and the brand is still growing, you know, and it, and it takes time to kind of build that brick by brick each day. Then we opened up this other side where it's like, okay, we have a, we have a service now that we can provide to scale all kinds of other stuff. So it's like, we usually get recommendations from people to like start podcasts. So like the brand is reinforcing the service. And then you're also just seeing like the service where, you know, it's a big freaking deal when straight candid starts blowing up and those guys are going to the moon. Like that just reinforces the fact of what we originally started everything from. So it's like, it's this really cool, like hand in hand type business model that we're playing around with that we're trying to scale into the next years to come uh, to see if we can like take this thing full time at some point and actually like get paid to produce the podcast and really show our brand. And then maybe like both of those rising at the same time could really uh, provide some uh, jet fuel to Mars, you know? And I, I could see really any brand that is looking to be like scaled. Like if you're just the local, you know, mom and pop realtor, I don't know if you necessarily need a podcast, but if you're someone who's looking to get sort of mass reach and really in an, in an engaged way where you can really like form in like a intimate long form conversation with your customers, it doesn't matter if it's a sock company, a shirt company or whatever, it being able to facilitate the, the conversations that like, your potential customers are interested in seems like it could be an asset to just about any company that's trying to get in front of, you know, regular consumers. Amen to that. Yeah. I mean, you get someone as a consumer to listen to you for an hour. Um, that person's truly bought into you just like one episode. They got you listen to them for an hour. That's a, you're competing with Netflix at that point, which is pretty impressive. And then you get them to consume like the social media clip that leads them to that podcast. Um, the whole mechanism can be intertwined, but the podcast is, uh, is your mainstay. And that really, truly builds the bond between you and your consumer. Um, and that's why we are not going away and we love what we're doing. And we, like Declan said, we believe that no one else is doing it. Um, and, and we're having a ton of fun. Um, and so, uh, and we had a ton of fun tonight, Sam. So thank you for joining us and sticking around until, you know, eight thirty on a, on a Tuesday, um, you know, Tuesday, five years ago, you grabbed a beer at 6 p.m. and you stayed to the wee hours of the night. We're not going to keep you to the wee hours of the night, but uh, we appreciate the time that you gave us today. Well, I appreciate it, guys. All the great stuff you guys are doing here with giving back to the community, fostering a community. It's all really admirable. So I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you tonight. Yes. We right have one on, final man. question for you before we let you go. Um, All right. What did you learn today from the moment that you woke up to when we're having this conversation? All right. I know you're probably looking for something deep and insightful, but I'm not going to give it to you. Um, I was probably just like wasting time earlier today scrolling when I realized that there was like a volcanic explosion somewhere and there was a video of it going over a pool. And the pool just constant, just like boils. And I'd never thought about the fact that like, it goes through like volcano that say go through people's houses, go through the local pool, whatever. It just boils on the spot. So stay away from volcanoes is what I learned. Stay away from volcanoes. The Canary Islands, just west of Spain, I believe. I okay. could be getting that wrong, but that is where the volcano occurred. That's the real deal, man. Yeah, very intense. Dude, that sounds sick. I mean, you're just, uh, you're just, I, I love the, the thought of, uh, phase change in water, you know, getting it to go from, uh, a standard, you know, standard, whatever, uh, you know, hanging out, just being water to, to boiling water that quickly, you know, it, it takes a lot of time to get those particles moving, you know, we got it. That has to be something to be talked about. 
So yeah, so, kudos so to the, it might not be the most usable information, but you know, I learned it. So it certainly is entertaining and worth pondering over, man. I got to get my eyes on this volcano now. You do, you do. It's cool stuff. <laughs> right on, man. Well, Sam, thank you for joining, man. You've been an absolute treat. Um, can't wait to share this with the world. And uh, if you have made it this far in the podcast, like please uh, DM Sam, DM us uh, at the Back Pocket Productions, and uh, we'll tag Sam's Instagram in the in the uh, show notes. But reach out, man. Let us know you made it this far. Uh, let us know the gratitude if you have any. Um, and uh, as always, man, just always a pleasure recording. We love you guys. Take care. <laughs>